Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Good to see you today. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, one of the pastors here. And uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us online as well. Really glad you can be with us. And um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, just about the church moving to Philippi, to the city of Philippi. And we're going to be there actually for the next few weeks as the church gets going there. But before we get going, I want to introduce you to a woman. Her name is Joan Murray. Uh, Joan was a senior vice president at Bank of America, and uh, she passed away about 18 months ago somewhere in that ballpark. Um, but do you know, she actually should have passed away uh, about 24 years ago in September of 1999. Uh, in fact, uh, Joan could have, and by all accounts should have died on that fateful day in September of 1999. Uh, she was in a plane, and when that plane leveled off at about 14,000 feet, Joan took a deep breath, jumped out the door, and started falling. Well, uh, the then 44-year-old bank executive was enjoying her free fall through the air for a little bit until she went to pull her ripcord, and nothing happened. And her parachute wouldn't open. She was falling at 120 miles per hour. When she, uh, she didn't panic though, she just had a ton of adrenaline and at that speed she pulled for her reserve chute which opened just fine and all was good. But in, in kind of the the tug of that, she lost her bearings and in her struggle to kind of right herself, ended up deflating the reserve chute. And so she went into a free fall again. And she was going approximately 80 miles an hour when she hit the ground. Well, um, she hit so hard that it shattered her right side, it jarred fillings out of her teeth and she was barely conscious and her heart was, was failing. And just when it seemed like things couldn't get worse, she realized lying there that she had landed on a mount, or a mound, excuse me, of fire ants that didn't appreciate her disturbing their solitude. All told, they stung her 200 times before the paramedics arrived. Some of you might remember the show Hee Haw, and they had a song on there, you know, like if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That was, that was Joan's day, right? In fact, my wife after the first service is like, why'd you tell that story? That was awful. 
So, well, because it illustrated my point. See, some of you might think that Joan was, man, she was pretty lucky the way all this worked out. But do you know what I would push back and say? I would say, no, actually, uh, it was God's providence. Because at first, while it would look like the ants were just one more insult on top of injury, do you know the paramedics surmised that it was likely those fire ants that saved her life? because in biting her over and over, they kind of shocked her heart enough to keep it beating. And that wasn't luck. I have no idea of Joan's faith or uh, where she was at or is that with the Lord. Uh, But it's clear that God was providentially providing for her in that moment to spare her life those 24 years ago. Now, By providence, here's what we mean by providence, is that God is intimately involved in our lives, that he sees, that he knows, that he cares, and that he coordinates or orchestrates things uh, to work out according to his plan for our good and for our joy. Now, that doesn't mean all the things that happen are good things, or even that necessarily God designed those things, but in his providence, he can orchestrate all of those things, you see? So uh, Wayne Grudem, a theologian, says God is actively involved in and related to his creation at every moment. That's providence. Circumstances in our lives are not determined by mere chance or randomness of falling on the right hill of ants or impersonal fate, just determinism that uh, there's nothing you can do about it, that's just gonna happen. But by a God who is the personal yet powerful creator and Lord. That's his providence. And we're gonna see his providence at work in Acts chapter 16 today. And my hope too is that you would even look at your life and see God's providence at work in your life as we follow him and and trust him. But before we dive in, let me pray. And then we're gonna be in Acts chapter 16. Glad you're here today. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that uh, nothing in our lives catches you by surprise. That you and your sovereign power and in your omniscience and control over everything, you see and you know. You see the great good things in our lives and you see the incredibly painful and ugly things in our lives. And yet somehow in, in your providence, you're able to take both and any of those and everything in between and coordinate things in such a way, Lord, that it still works out your plan in the end. As we trust you and as we follow you, as we repent of our sin. So help us to trust you in that. And might it affect the way then that we live our lives, trusting your providence and recognizing it every moment of every day. Help me, I pray, Holy Spirit, as I teach your word. uh, Help me to explain it well. Help all of us to understand what you've written and apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned in God's providence, uh, God coordinates. He coordinates. You might, you can use a different word if you want, I don't care. You could use the word orchestrates. You could use uh, the word um, he guides. You could use the word he controls, that, that he's in control of everything. And in his providence, he can coordinate and does coordinate all things, Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, to work out for the good of those who love him. 
Now, the way that coordination works, the good might not be here yet, but it'll eventually be here, right? Even if it's not till the end. But he can coordinate and orchestrate even our sin and our rebellion against him in such a way that in his providence, he works it out for good in the end. It doesn't thwart his plans, in other words. And he's, as we mentioned, he's personally involved in every moment of our lives. And we're going to see that today in Acts chapter 16. Uh, We're preaching through the New Testament book of Acts, if you're new with us. And we're just working our way through the story of the early church and how the church got started and and how it took off in in the years following Jesus' ascension. So today in chapter 16, uh, we're going to see the setup. I want want to take some time and, again, go backwards and work through the setup of the passage we're in. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts 16, and then uh, just go back a couple verses uh, to see part of the setup where it begins. We looked at this last Sunday, so we won't camp out here very long. You can go back and listen to last Sunday's message or watch it if you're curious. But there arose a sharp disagreement between two guys, one guy named Paul and another guy named Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas had been out on a journey planting churches and sharing the gospel throughout Cyprus and what is today modern-day Turkey. And they made their way back to this little city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea called Antioch. And they decide they're going to go back and visit these churches they had started years prior. Except before they take off, a, a big argument ensues in these two friends. And Barnabas wanted to take with him this guy named Mark who had been with him on that journey, but Mark deserted him. And Paul's like, I'm not bringing Mark along. There's no way. And, and their argument uh, grew so much. There was such a disagreement that uh, Luke says it was a sharp disagreement and they even separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and went this way. And Paul grabs another guy named Silas and goes the other way. And in the midst of it, you're looking at it going like, what just happened? But I would say now on this side, looking at it, we can see God's, what's the word? His providence, his goodness and his grace through all of it. Fast forward to chapter 16. Paul takes off with Silas and they're going back through, I'll show you this on a map in a moment. They go back through some of the towns where they had planted churches to Derby and to Lystra. And in Lystra, they meet a young guy named Timothy. They would have never met Timothy otherwise, at least nowhere near this soon if they ever had. And Paul likes Timothy and he he recognizes his character and he wants to bring him along. And so Timothy joins Paul and Silas and in God's providence, he's orchestrating and coordinating all these things to work out for good. And so they went out through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, these areas, they're not gonna make sense to you because they're ancient names. And so just think modern day Turkey. They're, They're traveling from east to west across modern day Turkey. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now that's not like the continent like we think of it, but it's this little province on the west coast of Turkey along the Aegean Sea. It's a Roman province. And when they had come up to Mysia, which was just north of that, uh, they attempted to go into Bithynia, which was the northern part of Turkey. See, all these places that Paul wanted to go, the Holy Spirit stops him. And we don't know how, And uh, we don't know why, but I think we might find out why here in a moment this morning in the text. And he stops him and and keeps him going a different direction. So they they attempted to go to Bithynia to the north, but the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So uh, 
let me, let me show you kind of all where they went. They're, they're moving across here through Durba and Lystra, and they want to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit says no. So they try to go north, the Holy Spirit says no. And they work their way up to Troas, a port city on the Aegean Sea. And across the sea is this land, it's modern-day Greece, known as Macedonia in that day. And so... Uh, They get to Troas and Paul has a vision, he has a dream, where a man from Macedonia appears to him in the dream and says, waving to him, saying, hey, can you come help us? Well, Paul interprets that and immediately they they jump in a ship the next day and they take off for Macedonia. And what's curious here is in verse 10, we looked at this last Sunday too, we see the word we. Luke is writing this and, and Up until this point, he never used we in his writing. Now suddenly Luke is part of the story. So it's evidently in Troas or somewhere around there, Paul also meets Luke. What are the chances? No, it's God's providence, isn't it? He coordinated all of it. He orchestrated all of it. And he meets Luke and they end up uh, taking off and they conclude we gotta go to Macedonia, across the Aegean Sea there to preach the gospel to the people there. So setting sail then from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, Samothrace, I'll show you that here in a second, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. And Luke tells us, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city for some days. So they worked their way across to Troas, and in Troas, Zoom in here a little bit. They hop on a ship, and Luke writes, they go, to, they go past uh, Samothrace, and, they, they, Samothrace, and they, they kind of camp there for the evening, and the next day make their way to Neapolis. It's a two-day journey. The, the wind was evidently at their back, because later in Acts 20, when they make the reverse journey, it takes them five days to sail that. And so they make it across, and then from Neapolis, they, they go inland about eight miles to the city of Philippi. And what I want you to see here is all of this was God setting up what's about to happen now in the city of Philippi. God was coordinating all of it. He he took what was really hard in the fight with Barnabas and what was really good in finding Timothy and Luke and he, he took even what seemed like a dead end, like why can't we go to Asia? I want to go there. And why can't I go north? He coordinated all of it to get Paul to the place he wanted him and orchestrated through all of the ordinary circumstances him ending up in Philippi. Now, I mentioned, and my challenge to you is to, to think a little bit about God's providence in your own life. And you might be saying, yeah, but Josh, um, that's really hard because a lot of my life or maybe my circumstances right now are incredibly hard. And maybe they're because of choices you've made, maybe because of choices someone else has made, maybe just because of circumstance, because we live in a broken world. But I want you to think about this, that God is still providentially in control in your life. And he does still care and see and know. In fact, as you think about this in your own life, you might think about it in the same way you would think of a young boy who in his geography class is asked by the teacher, hey, which way does uh, the Mississippi River flow? 
Well, the correct answer, do you know? It flows from north to south. It from north down into uh, the Gulf of Mexico. But if you've ever flown across the Mississippi River or gotten up high enough to look at it, or if you've ever pulled out a map and zoomed in close enough, you're free to do it now on your phone if you want to, I don't care, you're going to find places where the river flows north. And you're going to find places where the river flows due east and other places where it flows due west and northwest and northeast and the way it winds around. But ultimately, which way does it flow? South. Well, in a similar way in our lives, see, God has a plan that won't be thwarted. It's frustrated, it's turned, it's twisted. Sometimes it flows north, but God in his sovereignty and in his providence can work even those sections of your life and my life to where eventually they still flow the direction he wants them to go and works out his purposes. I don't know if that's helpful for you. That's helpful for me as I think about God's sovereignty and of his providence in my own life, that even in the hardest times, he's in control. He's intimately involved and cares and sees and knows, not from a distance, but personally. And so all of this is setting up then. God in his providence sets up all of this to wind Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke through the north and south and east and everywhere the river was taking them eventually to end up in this city of Philippi. So let's talk a little bit about Philippi because we're gonna be in Philippi today and then next Sunday and then uh, a week from next Sunday, two weeks from today when we cover an overview of Paul's letter to the church there in in Philippi called Philippians. Well, Philippi is an ancient city In fact, it was uh, founded, um, we're not sure when, but in antiquity, uh, uh, surrounding uh, some mines of gold in the mountains that surrounded it. It was kind of a gold rush city. And they mined gold out of the mountains in this area. And over time, it became known for this. And in 356, uh, Philip II of Macedon, of Macedonia, of Greece, the father of Alexander the Great, you ever heard of him? Philip of Macedon named Philippi after himself. He took over the city and uh, used some of the gold that was there to outfit himself and his army, and it was used by others in that time for the same purposes. Well, with the expansion of the Roman Empire, it became a Roman city in 167 BC, but it became most famous in 42 BC when Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in a battle during the Second Roman Civil War. He defeated the guys who had assassinated Julius Caesar, and in his celebration for this, he uh, declared it to be a Roman colony. Do you notice that's what Luke writes about it? He says there in verse 12, he said, uh, Philippi, which is a leading city, uh, part of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, Now you might think, why is he giving me all this detail? Well, it's gonna set up what happens next Sunday when we read about Paul getting thrown in jail and being a Roman citizen himself. See, being a Roman colony meant that the people there were Roman citizens. 
And they had protections and freedoms that others didn't have. And, and a social status. In fact, they were even declared later to be part of Italy itself, to where the Italian law ruled over the colony of Philippi and the city of Philippi. So that even though they were in Greece, they had all of the rights, all the privileges of someone who lived in Italy as a Roman citizen. It was an outpost of the Roman Empire. And Luke writes, he says, it's a leading city. Well, it also in uh, Philippi, um, there, it was famous for its school of medicine. There's a great school of medicine in Philippi with graduates throughout the Roman world. And Colossians 4 tells us that Luke, Paul's companion here, the guy who writes Acts, was indeed a medical doctor. Well, as close as he was to that area, it's very likely that Luke went to medical school in Philippi. And that this may even be his original hometown. He writes of Philippi as a leading city. You know, there's only one other city that's mentioned as a leading city or like an outstanding city in Acts. It's Paul's hometown of Tarsus. No obscure city, it says later. So why did Luke write that? It was an important city, but it wasn't the capital of that area. Probably Luke was proud of his hometown. He was speaking well of it. It was a leading city. And it was important. And and, uh, Luke likely practiced medicine there and it would be destined to become one of Paul's most beloved churches, the church that gets formed and started today in our passage in Philippi. In fact, in Paul's letter to them, uh, the book of Philippians, he writes, he goes, I thank my God every time that I remember you. He's writing from Rome in prison. Every time I think of you, I just thank God for you. One of the things he says, he says, as you Philippians know, in the early days, your acquaintance with the go- of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I left Macedonia, there was no church that shared with me in the matter of giving except for you. You've been such good friends and supporters of mine. And I just, I love you guys. He, he loved the church that, get started there in our passage today. And everything that happened up until that point and everything going forward, God coordinated. He set it all up. What's he been coordinating in your life? What did he coordinate to get you here today? To this place? To this moment in time? It it wasn't on accident. He was coordinating those things. Well, God coordinates and we follow. We follow. Our role and Paul's role in all of this was simply to follow the doors that God opened, to walk through them. When he stopped him from going into Asia, Paul went a different way. He tried going north, and when God stopped him from going that way, okay, and he went another way, and he eventually goes to Troas, and he simply followed and obeyed. And the, the thing that Paul was obeying is he was being a witness. Let's keep reading here. Luke writes, he says, we remained in this city in Philippi for some days. Is that weeks, months? We don't know, but it was a while. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. So it was the day of worship. When Paul got into a city, the first thing he always did is he tried to find a synagogue where he would go preach and teach the truth of the gospel to the Jewish people. Well, evidently he didn't find one 
in Philippi because on the Sabbath, instead of going to the synagogue, they go outside the city walls down to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer, where they had probably learned there was a place of prayer. Maybe Luke knew there used to be from his time in medical school. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. There was women who had come together to worship alongside the river that morning, that day. Do you know, uh, this tells me that there were not very many Jewish people in Philippi at all. Because we read here in a moment that these women, one in particular, Lydia, was, uh, she was a worshiper of God, which is a way of saying in the New Testament that they were Gentile people who followed and prayed to and worshiped the Jewish God. But they weren't Jewish. They were worshipers of God, or they were proselytes, or whatever that looks like, right? They, they, they worshiped the God of the Bible. Well, in order to have a synagogue in a city, according to Jewish tradition, you had to have at least 10 men to start a new synagogue, to start a new church, so to speak. So that tells me there's, there's not a lot of followers of Judaism here, and the only ones who are, who, who worship the God of the Bible, are those, are mostly women. There weren't even 10 men to be able to start a synagogue. Well, Paul goes out and he finds them. Why does he do this? Well, because Paul took seriously the command of Jesus back in Acts chapter one, before his ascension, that you will be my witnesses. Acts chapter one, here's what Jesus says before he ascends. He says, to all the disciples, uh, Paul would have heard it later, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, so far we've seen the gospel in Jerusalem. We've seen the gospel spread to Judea and Samaria And now Paul, in getting to Philippi, has actually crossed into Europe. The gospel is moving to the ends of the earth. And he knows that that's that's Jesus' command. That's his command, like just keep going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Jesus said, everything I've commanded you, and I'm gonna be with you the whole of every moment. I'm gonna be with you the whole way. You will be my witness. I got a question for you. That, that's why Paul goes to find these ladies and, and to speak to them. He's, he's, he's carrying out what Jesus told him to do. But you know, Jesus told that to all the disciples, but do you know who else he tells it to? To you and I. And so I, in the notes here, I just have instead of witnesses, like Jesus said, let's just personalize it. Think about it for ourselves of how we go out. You will be my witness, Jesus says. Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Then you've been sent by him. Jesus says that in in John chapter 20. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and you will be my witness. Well, Josh, that's why I give, so that you can do that. No, 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 Jesus said, you (laughs) will be my witness. And he says it to me as well. All of us will be his witness. What's that look like for you? Where are the places he sent you to? Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they just, they just continue to follow God as he opens doors and closes doors. And through the ordinary means of life, they just make their way through, find themselves in Philippi, 
look for people to share the gospel with, learn of this church meeting down by the river. And so they go down there and hang out with these ladies. You will be my witness. Where's, where is it for you? My challenge to you is just do the ordinary. Go about the ordinary of life following him. Did you notice where God met Lydia? She was just going about her ordinary life. We haven't even mentioned Lydia yet, but she's coming. She was part of that group of women. And the place that God meets her, where Paul meets her, was just her, the equivalent of her going to church, just showing up on the Sabbath to worship, to pray, to hear God's word taught. She was gathering with others who believed. Do you know, part of doing the ordinary to hear from God and to have him reveal his will to you of where he would send you and how he would send you and to hear from him and know when he closes doors and when he opens doors is gathering to hear his word taught, to worship him with his people. Like if you're not gathering and you're just never showing up and never involved, you're missing out in so many ways. God says to gather. In fact, in in Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let's not neglect meeting together. Like some people do, they just, they do. And they continue to do more and more, but encourage one another. Give courage to one another. Hey, I know you don't feel like it today, but man, I hope I see you Sunday morning. And when you see one another on a Sunday morning or at life group or wherever that is, I know life's hard, but man, I I just like being with you. Keep going, don't quit. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. More and more. That's just going about the ordinary of following Christ. But you know, it's also the ordinary just of life and knowing where he sends you. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, make it your goal just to live a quiet life, minding your own business. I wonder what Paul would think about social media working with your hands, just like we instructed you before, then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live. You won't need to depend on others. As you go about letting God coordinate and you follow and just go about doing the ordinary, notice part of what happens is that as you do that, those who are not believers will see your way of life and respect it. And just by worshiping and following in the ordinary of life, suddenly you're also going out And God is opening doors for you to be able to have conversations with people and share the gospel. Our vision, right, for 2030, remember we've been talking about this recently, we're gonna hear a ton about it, probably get tired of hearing about it. Part of our vision is that by 2030, the people of Wawasee Bible, not the pastors of Wawasee Bible, not the leaders of Wawasee Bible, the people, which includes the pastors and the leaders and everybody else, but we're gonna have 10,000 gospel conversations with people over the next seven years. People who are far from God. Not 10,000 people, 10,000 conversations. And even in your handout this morning, there's a little sidebar explaining a little bit about what those are, and we'll keep pouring into this over time. Well, it's, um, there's three examples there. Maybe it's uh, just sharing with somebody what Jesus is doing in my life today. Today. Maybe he's helping you through a really hard thing. Maybe he's brought you through 
something. Maybe he's doing something really good. Maybe you don't know how you're gonna get through it, but he's helped you in the past so you know he can help you today. And you name Jesus and make him the hero of the story. Or maybe it's um, speaking with somebody and just sharing different aspects of the gospel with them. Maybe it's sharing your story of how you trusted Christ and what he's done in your life. And that doesn't need to be in a weird way. It's just in conversation. Just like, hey, how's that going with that thing for you? Man, it's, it's been hard. But thankfully, I know Jesus is with me. I know fill in the blank. Maybe it's sharing something God speaks to you when you're gathered with his people on a Sunday morning. But just following him and opening your mouth and in the midst of the ordinary as he opens those opportunities. And his will is that we always be joyful, never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. But see, as God coordinates and as we follow, here's what you need to know and keep in mind throughout all of it, is that Jesus saves. Jesus is the one who saves. He does the work. I mentioned Lydia. Let's, uh, let's look at her now. One who heard us as they get to Philippi and they go out with the women who are down worshiping alongside the river. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Well, she was from the city, originally from the city of Thyatira. Do you know where Thyatira is? It's okay if you don't. Because if you asked me like on a whim one day, I'd be like, ah, somewhere over there. It's actually in what is what was the Roman province of Asia on the west side of Turkey. Who wanted to go to, go to Asia, maybe to the city of Thyatira? That guy, Paul. Who wouldn't let him go there? The Holy Spirit. I wonder if God in his providence wasn't coordinating something for Paul as he followed him, that there was somebody Jesus wanted to save. I think her name was Lydia. In fact, one commentator quips that the man that was waving to Paul in his vision wasn't a man at all. It was actually a woman. And her name was Lydia. Well, she was there from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. In Thyatira, that city was known for their uh, purple dye where they would uh, extract dye out of different uh, mollusks and the root of a plant and they would make this really expensive and beautiful dye to make purple garments from. And it was an expensive, painstaking process, and so the garments that were dyed purple were very expensive, and they were rare. And in fact, it was often royalty and those of just high means and high estate who were able to buy them. So one thing about Lydia, she was from Thyatira originally, now she's in Philippi, she's selling purple goods. She's probably making pretty good money. She's doing well for herself in this trade. And one other thing about uh, Lydia, she was a worshiper of God. She was one of those, she wasn't Jewish, she was Greek, but she worshiped the God of the Bible. She longed to know him, longed to, to pray, to know more about him. And that day she was with the women that Paul finds and Luke and Timothy and Silas find along the river. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Did Paul convince her? Did he argue her 
towards salvation? Who did it? God did. God opened her heart. And for you and I, when we trusted Christ, it was God who was working, coordinating things so that Jesus would save us. And in fact, look at what happens. Here's how we know she did trust Christ after she was baptized. She trusted him. And her household as well. Our household, we're not ever told of Lydia having a husband. And so it's one of two things, either, well, one of three things. Either she was just single, or uh, she was a widow, or her husband wasn't a follower of Christ and just is never mentioned, or maybe she was divorced. But in any case, she's mentioned in her household likely includes, if she had children, maybe some of her children, but those who worked with her in this trade would have included servants of hers. They come to faith and get baptized. And then look how it immediately begins to work itself out in Lydia's life. She's a changed woman. She's like, she says, hey, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, I want you guys to come to my house. Come stay with me. You've got to tell more people about this and you need a place to stay. And then we need a place to meet. I've got a big house. God's given me a lot of good things. I want to give of my talent. I want to give of my time. I want to give of my treasure to see this continue. And I wonder if Paul and those guys are like, ah, I don't know. I mean, uh, we just got to town. Luke says she prevailed upon us like she would not let it go. Immediately her hospitality, her gift of hospitality comes out. And did you know that they end up staying with her for a number of days? And later in Philippi, we'll see it next Sunday when Paul gets arrested. Do you know whose house he goes to after he gets out of prison? To Lydia's. And do you know why he goes there? Because that's where the church was meeting. The church met in Lydia's home. She's a really influential woman in this city and in the history of the church, especially in Philippi. In fact, She's the first convert ever recorded in the continent of Europe. Lydia is. And one of the things we see here is, we say it like this, it's one of our core values. It's kind of this burning flame in us of why we're sent to love. It's because all people matter. All people. All people. Now, this takes on a little more significance, and especially here in Philippi, when you consider something Uh, that there was a prayer that a sect of the Pharisees would often pray every morning. Now, Paul, as you know, before he came to faith in Christ, was a Pharisee. We don't know that he prayed this prayer, but there's a good chance that he did. And here's what it was. God, thank you that I am a man and not a woman, a Jew and not a Gentile, free and not a slave. There was also something similar in uh, Greek philosophical thought that was ascribed at different times to Socrates or to Plato and some others. Whoever it was that said it, they were allegedly in the habit of thanking God for three things. Now this isn't the Jewish Pharisees, this is the, the Greek philosophers where Paul and everyone was right now. 
He would pray these three things to God. He would thank him that one, I was born a human and not a beast. Two, I was born a man and not a woman. And three, that I was born a Greek and not a barbarian. Now, whether that was originally in Jewish thought that the Pharisees that they pray that, or if is that something that came when Alexander the Great conquered that area and conquered the known world, and that Greek philosophy leaked into that. We don't know, but there's a good chance, better than good, I think, that Paul likely prayed that, prayed that prayer often as a devout Pharisee. What's curious, though, is later, when he writes to Galatians, he writes, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a big turn, isn't it, for him? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And to demonstrate this even further, in Philippi, uh, Luke records the conversions of three people. And I think this speaks to the equalizing nature of the gospel and how Jesus turns everything on its head. And not only in terms of Judaism, but also in terms of just the known world in, in the Greek world too, right? Three people, Luke records, coming to faith in the city of Philippi. A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. All of whom Paul at some point likely prayed, thank you God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And yet Jesus saves all of them. Why? Because all people matter. The gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. And we're all equal before the cross. Men and women, no matter, when we say all people matter, we mean that no matter who you are, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what choices you've made, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your intellect, no matter your gender, you matter to God because you bear his image. And because you matter to him, you matter to us. And all people matter. Now in a world that we live in where there's so much division over so many different things, from politics to gender to race, living out this truth is so important for us, isn't it? To demonstrate that all people matter. And even in, in these examples here, like our example today of Lydia coming to faith, uh, you know, God's word is clear that uh, there's one role in the church that is limited. Uh, men and women are equal before the cross, but we are different. And it's not an issue of equality, it's just God made us different. And he reserves the role of pastor, elder, overseer, you can use all those terms interchangeably, uh, according to scripture as we see it, to men alone and roots it in how he created us in Genesis. But every other role, every other role is open for women to lead and to serve according to the New Testament and God's design. And uh, we see that with Lydia as a powerful, influential businesswoman. She was a key leader in the church in Philippi. 
The church met at her home. She financed, likely, maybe even on her own, a lot of Paul's ministry. I mean, she had a huge role in the advancement of the gospel. And we have, we have women who lead in big ways in our church. Uh, if you call the church office, you're going to get Mandy on the phone most days. And uh, Mandy, you might think, that, oh, is that the secretary? No, she's, she's a lot more than the secretary. Listen, she, she helps coordinate and organize and manage so many things. And there's other women who lead, like Trisha in our kids' ministry, and Myra in our student ministry, Sarah Vanderyden with the ladies who were on retreat this weekend, coordinating women's ministry, ministry to women. And so ladies, I just bring that up. Like there is, we are so grateful for you. And the example of Lydia is, is one of many in scripture of how the gospel levels the playing field and we're all equal before the cross. And it's all by God's design. And the other thing we see with Lydia is that as we follow, while God coordinates things, he is the one who changes hearts. Jesus saves, he changes hearts. Did you notice what it said there in verse 15 or verse 14? At the end of it, it said, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. He does it. When Paul followed, he opened his mouth, but it was Jesus who opened her heart. For you and I, as we go about having these conversations and we, we recognize where God's coordinating things and we follow him and we open our mouths, but who opens hearts? God does, Jesus does. So you really, you can't lose. It's not on you. In, in fact, John writes this, he says, um, we know that the son of God has come and he's given us understanding, Jesus has, so that we may know him who is true, know Jesus. That's why he's opened our lives and so that our hearts so that we would know him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Friends, we want people to know that. Maybe God's opening your heart to know that this morning. And if he is, you need to know it's true. It's, that's not like some great persuasion on my part. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. I'm just following and opening my mouth. God's got to be the one to open your heart to that truth. And uh, for all of us, as we read the truth of scripture, this is a great prayer to read from Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. Friends, God coordinates all things, his providence. The rule for you and I is to follow, to respond to him, to move out towards those who are far from God, to open our mouths, and then allow Jesus to open their hearts. And as I mentioned, if he's doing that in your life today, it's a simple act of faith to respond to that. Simply saying, Jesus, I recognize your work. I recognize my shortcoming. I recognize that I need to turn to you in faith. Or I need to repent and turn back to you in faith. And the Scripture is very clear that if you would believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if you would confess your sins to him and repent and turn to him, you will be forgiven. As we sang, he's the God of second chances. He loves you. All you need to do is respond and follow. Let me pray. 
and we're gonna call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus.